talking about and dealing with the Corinthians regarding uh, this recommendation, right? It's some of the critique of Paul is he's not, he's not this real apostle, right? And so he comes and says, I don't need letters from you or for you. You are the letter, right? This is how I have planted this church. This is what I'm doing. You are it. He has told us of the work of Christ, the letter of Christ. It's cared for by us, but we didn't do it. It's the work of the Spirit, right? Paul looks on the authenticity of the church is the, is the character, right, of those who are following after uh, the Lord. And this morning, as he continues in that vein, he's, he's talking about the confidence that comes from doing ministry, right, the Lord's way. And confidence is one of those things that's quite uh, something we all understand, something that we desire to see in us, right? We want to be confident in the workplace, confident in our studies. We want to be confident in our driving. That's a good one. That's an important one, right? But sometimes we go without confidence. Sometimes we feel you know, a little bit insecure about situations. And it's interesting how other people may look upon us, right? That's a confident person or how they determine what a confident person is. There was a Harvard professor who did this, um, uh, what do you call it, the, there's a word for it, and it is not coming to me. Anyway, he did, he took some people, right, he did a, a, a what's the word for it, survey, yeah. you, you all just sit there and stared at me for a while, because you all knew, huh, you were like, oh, let's see if he can do it. He took a survey, right, and, and what he did is he surveyed people who were, uh, uh, workers in a, in a very luxurious store, a luxury store, right? something, a high-end store. And he said, what would happen if someone came into your nice, important store and they were wearing, right, gym clothes, something that just didn't look the part, right? And so he also, in this survey, he questioned other customers. If you were a customer in that store, right, how would, how would you respond? What would you think of a person who's walking through a very high-end store and they just basically got gym clothes on? kind of out of character. And what he found is that other customers thought this person is in the wrong place. Right? How how come on? We're in a nice place. Why are you why are you wearing those kind of clothes? But what's interesting is that he found is that those who worked at the store actually thought this person demonstrated confidence. It wasn't concerned about other things. He was coming to buy and typically they noticed that people who didn't look the part were more inclined to actually purchase things. I mean, I don't know what that has to do with your shopping and what you're wearing, but anything like that. I thought it was very interesting, right? Because the question can be asked, how do we, right, walk in this element of confidence? Is it about wearing gym clothes for the Christian? Is it about something inside of us? And especially in the context of ministry, because Paul has planted this church, and he's ministering to these Corinthians, and yet they're all over the place. So where does Paul get his confidence? I mean, he doesn't waver in confidence, and yet you can look at all the struggles and all the issues and all the things, right, that are happening. And all the questions of the Corinthians against Paul. And yet, it doesn't waver in confidence. What we see his confidence isn't because he's wearing gym clothes, right, and planting churches. His confidence is in Christ. And this is where we see the, the, the gym, right, the, the, for us. Because we have that same struggle. We may question ourselves about our own ministry activities. Our own involvement in evangelism. Right? We may have said, I, I tried to witness to this person, but I'm not so sure if, if I want him to Jesus or to, 
right, some other new age religion, right? I'm not sure. I just, I, I question my ability. And that may lead us to simply go, I, I can't do this anymore. And if we look at Paul's life, you would think, well, all the things we've worked through from the first letter to this point, there's loads of opportunity for Paul to say, man, I just can't do this. And yet, right, because his message has been Christ and him crucified, he doesn't waver. So for us, what are we to gain in ministry and the working and the living after Christ and following him and sharing him and teaching him? How do we gain from what Paul is understanding here? Well, this begins in verse 4, and he says this. Such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but as our contrast, our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants or ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills but The Spirit gives life. Let me offer a brief prayer. Father, again, we thank you for this opportunity which to assemble, to open your word. I ask that your Spirit would teach us and guide us, instruct us, motivate us. Lord, grow that confidence of of who you are and the truth of your word. Lord, that we might be those vessels that, that communicate it with confidence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I mentioned last week, I mentioned it again, right? Paul has a wonderful understanding. He has a wonderful conviction about the objective truth, right, of God. God is outside himself. His word is outside of, of himself. Of course, he's in the process of writing it through the power of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> but Paul understands, right, he has confidence in that God guarantees the success of his word. Right For the New Testament church, which is us, right? we could say that God, there is success in the preaching of the gospel. Now, that doesn't mean that every soul is going to come to believe, unfortunately. But we know for what his word is, and, and as it goes forward, it doesn't come back void. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11 says this, when God's talking about my word, uh, be which goes forth from my mouth, it will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire. And without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Paul has this, I believe, without any hesitation that God's word is true. We see this even in in, uh, Saul before he was Paul. His conviction, right, this way. Of course, Jesus saves his life, radically uh, transforms him, and begins to reorient and think differently about, right, the New Testament and God's call on his life. So Paul is operating. And this is important for us to understand. He is operating and, and uh, speaking to this church, writing to this church, right? His interactions with this church is that God's truth is true, right? It sets the standard. He doesn't deviate from that. He doesn't allow the culture to dictate what might be true or not true, which is really popular today, right? Everything is relative. He has, Paul will have nothing to do with that. It is God's truth, and this is what leads him in confidence, it leads him in effectiveness. It leads him to respond to the opposition. It leads him not to give in or give up or to quit. Right? It is the reason that the next day he gets up and continues on. Right? We, we look at Paul's life and, he, and uh, the hardship, the difficulties, and in this letter he will list them out. And I imagine any one of us would just simply say, man, Paul, at some point you should have learned, right? And just call it a day. 
But yet he continues to go forward with Holy Spirit, right, anointing and power in his life. Why? Because he believes God is true, his gospel is true, and that people are in need to hear, right, because they are lost in sin. They need to know Jesus. So he tells us in the first three verses what authentic ministry is. It's, it's doing it God's way. And because, right, Paul has been doing ministry, he's planted this church, and he's done these things God's way, we begin to see the confidence. Right? Doing things the Lord's way encourages us. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Doesn't mean you'll have all the, the results you think you should have. Right? But we know, right, God is in control of that. So this is what we, well, what I mapped out for us, and some of these I believe are, are to me, are very straightforward and simple. My first point is simply this. Confidence, just like authenticity in ministry, confidence in ministry stems from doing ministry God's way. Right? If we're, if we're sharing the gospel, if we're going about things, if we're doing this and sometimes we feel like I'm not doing it, no, we should have confidence if we're sharing right, Christ according to his word. Because Paul qualifies the confidence. He says, such confidence. Such confidence. Verse 4, we have through Christ toward, through Christ toward God. Now again, this might be very obvious to us. But as you look at the state of the church today, we could probably conclude it's, it's not that obvious anymore. I mean, ministry is a call, right? It is, it is to do what the Lord has said. The whole element of Scripture is about redemption from beginning to end. It has a, a central figure of all of Scripture, which is Christ. And why has Christ come? Right? To deal with our sin problem. And yet we... Don't want to use those words today, but Paul says, my confidence, such confidence comes, right, from working and laboring through Christ toward God. So ministry for me, and I just, my takeaway right there is ministry is directional, right? Christ is the means, he's the confidence. God must be the real focus. It is his story. It is his world. We are his creation. Ministry only goes one way. Now, realize that that statement, right, Paul's conviction here, such confidence through Christ towards God, rejects postmodernism. He, he re- completely rejects any idea that there is a relative, that truth is relative. If there's truth, it's relative. It rejects postmodernism. It rejects humanism, which simply says, I'm at the center. I dictate. If a tree falls in the forest and I'm not there, it doesn't make a sound. I'm at the center. It rejects self-made ideas. It, it rejects the popular deconstructing. I don't know if you've heard that word. It's very popular today. And Christians who profess this, I've deconstructed my faith. Okay, that's just a clever way of saying that's humanism. Because deconstructing means I've gotten rid of the stuff I don't like, and I've now built a Christianity. I'm going to call it that around what I like. So I reject the things that says, right, homosexuality is a sin. I don't like that. I'm going to get rid of it. I'm going to deconstruct and reconstruct the way I want. That's humanism. And we do that with all countless sins. We get rid of the word sin. We get rid of the word of the purpose of Christ. And yet Paul's message has been what? Jesus Christ, him crucified. Why? Because there are heterosexual sins or homosexual. There are sins. And we need a Savior, every single one of us. So Paul's confidence, right? He uses the word, such confidence. He's used this word a number of times, I think a total of six in the New Testament, all by him. 
right? And he uses four, that word four times in this epistle. He's used it such as trust, right? Trusting in people or, or some as those trusting in their own works. He's used it that way. And he's also used it as those who trust in Christ for salvation. But in this passage, Paul is talking about such confidence. It's trusting that Christ is who he is, that he's overcome the world, and that in him we can be redeemed. In the context of his letter, going back to chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, he says that this confidence we have in the day of the Lord Jesus that when Christ returns, all those in Christ should not have to worry or shake in their boots or be fearful in any way. Those not in Christ, absolutely. If you don't know Christ, today must be a day of salvation. But this word confidence, right, as I mentioned at the beginning, sometimes we just simply look at it as something internal. I did a quick uh, uh, duck, duck, go search of this. I use that, not Google, but... I searched this word, and a popular definition popped up, and this is what it says, and we might all agree with this. Confidence is a belief in oneself, the conviction that one has the ability to meet life's challenges and to succeed, and the willingness to act accordingly. Being confident requires a realistic sense of one's capabilities and feeling secure in that knowledge. Now, we would say, yeah, confidence, right? We probably might understand this word this way. I have a confidence in my abilities in my workplace. I have a confidence in these things to do this, right? Some of you guys make up mistakes. I have no confidence, sweetheart, in how to manage a broom. I just can't clean that for you. I remember a gentleman one time saying, my hands are something wrong with them. It just won't hold the broom. <laughs> yeah, and they didn't fly well with his wife either. But we make those exceptions. But sometimes we go, that's, that's the idea of confidence. That's not where Paul is coming from. When Paul is, has been replete with saying, I didn't come with, with all this right, great skill and oratory skill and all this stuff. My confidence has been outside of me. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 through 5, And when I came to you, writing to this Corinthian church, brethren, I do not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. He's doing ministry his way, not on my own. Paul was, does this mean that Paul didn't utilize his intellect or his spiritual gifts? No, he used all of that. But his trust was not in that. His trust comes back to what he says. My confidence, such confidence, is through Christ. There's no, uh, any power of my own. I'm confident that the, the, the church I planted here was built upon and, and founded on Jesus Christ and him crucified. And if that message goes forward, I know this church will go forward. There is his confidence. See, Paul believed. He had confidence. He trusted that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. He didn't waver in that. Jesus right, brought Paul to conversion. Acts 9, Jesus called him to be an apostle to the Gentiles, Acts 9, 15. Jesus repeatedly encouraged Paul and, and, uh, to proclaim his word. We see this throughout Acts and the works of, of Paul. So he knows the calling. He has confidence in who he is. Now we know, right, 
that we're not called to be apostles today. That has ended. But the ministry is upon us. It continues. The church goes forward. Paul has written, or excuse me, written, written. Yeah, don't, don't, don't remember that one. He has written to Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of service. That's the word ministry. To build up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. To be measured, to, excuse me, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. See, every single one of us, if we are Christians, if we have believed, right, then we can say like Paul, Jesus has brought us to salvation. He's brought us to conversion. He hasn't called us to be apostles. He's definitely called us to ministry, the context where you live, where you breathe. He encourages us to proclaim his word. It is the same upon us. Now, people may question you. Right? They may challenge you. They may create doubt in you. But our confidence doesn't come from my ability. My ability is a part of it, but my confidence comes through Christ toward God. And Paul is simply saying he's not focusing on any earthly source. He's not looking to himself. He's looking to God. We could say Paul is supremely God-confident. His word does not come back void. And this has been his message. Paul hasn't wavered in this. Paul was here today. He would be looking you in the eyes and saying, this, come. You too do the same thing. Listen to what he wrote to the Philippians, chapter 1, 27 and 28. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. So when we go forward and, and say ministry is authentically, it is doing it God's way, there's confidence that comes from this. It means that all your endeavors and all the things that you step into, those moments of, of evangelizing, of, of giving a hope for the reason, right? A reason for the hope that's within you. When we have those moments, you can operate in confidence. As we share God's truth, we say this is, this is who Christ is. This is how he changed me. He can change you too. And you may not get the right response. You may get, hey, just like Paul, what is this babbler saying? But it doesn't change us. right? We, our confidence isn't in, in my eloquence. My confidence is not in how I do these things. Now that's a part of it. But my confidence comes because I know what I'm communicating is true. It's eternally true. This is why we can't deviate from, the, from, from God's word, right? So ministry now, all our attempts, they're not a waste of time. All those moments where you feel like I failed, it's no, you haven't. Keep moving forward. We trust with confidence. We simply go forward. So we see right here at the beginning, it's, it's all in the context. Authentic ministry is doing it his way. When we do it his way, there's, there's confidence that comes from this. Such confidence, right? Such confidence that I have is through Christ towards God. The second point here is confidence in ministry is relying, relying on God's sufficiency and not self. 
right? He says in verse 5, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves. There's an apostle saying this, but our contrast, our adequacy is from God. Now, I think here, Paul states what every honest believer has probably said to themselves in their mind at one point in time. Have you ever stepped into some situation where, where you're going to share the gospel or, or be a representative of Christ in some way? You've most likely said, Lord, I am not fit for this. But right, you are. There's that quick prayer. Lord, you better speak through me because I may mess this up. I don't know if anyone's prayed that one. Okay, three of us. All right. Some of you are not being honest, right? Lord, you got to move here because I don't know, right? Lord, help me. Holy Spirit, bring things to my mind. He says this, right? We're not adequate in ourselves to consider anything coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. Now, Paul, again, he, he's using all his intellect. He's utilizing his spiritual gifts, all his resources. He's using all of this. And none of this was never a moment where he turns this off. There's never a moment where Paul turns off his mind, right? <clears throat> and sets his spiritual gifts aside. Don't ever think that. It's not what he's saying here. He's simply relying upon the things of God, the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's relying on God to stir their hearts. Paul knows that I cannot change. I can't change your thinking. It only comes, right, from the power of the gospel, it's the Spirit that changes, and this is where he's going in the very next verse as he talks about what the Spirit's going to do. But Paul is simply relying upon the fact that God has called him, God has made him, God has equipped him, right? So here he is, and he's trusting. He's told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10, For I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace towards me did not prove vain but i labored even more than all of them yet not i but the grace of god within me so paul has this conviction right god is our ministry source again this may sound really obvious but if you look at the state of the church today you might conclude maybe it's not that as obvious as we think Right? The purpose in ministry is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is to preach right, Christ to those who are lost in their sins. That's why we're here. And then those who repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we're now called to disciple them and to teach all that the Lord has commanded in his word. Right? There is the succinct uh, definition of ministries, why we're here. And yet what is happening in the modern church is not dealing with that sin problem. We don't like that word, unfortunately. It's not used that often. And so what you end up having is the church today focusing on the symptoms of sin, but not going after the root problem. And it's compounded because they look to themselves and not to the power of God. They don't look to the sufficiency of God. They're relying on themselves to fix the symptoms. So they have the wrong focus, right? The wrong focus on the wrong problem and the wrong solution. The building of God's kingdom is to be built on the foundation of Christ. We don't get to make it up as we go. Right? I'm going to go do this. Now, again, we can be unique, but there's a focus right, on the, on the simple foundation laying of Christ. I know, and I mentioned this last week, I've never seen a building being going up on a cement foundation where the workers decided to just start building over here on the dirt. 
right? Off the fountain. I've never seen that, and none of you came up to me and said, there's this one building, I've seen that. None of you have said, I've seen that. We don't do that. But yet, in the church, we think this is how we should go about it. You know what? I'm not going to build on this foundation. I'm not going to do what Christ has called me to do in the sense of preaching sin and writing an answer to the sin, which is Jesus. I'm not going to touch on those issues. I'm going to leave those things alone. I'm just going to go build over here on the dirt. Right? So many churches today rely on self-help ideas. Your best life now is an example of that. A lot of them exchange the word sin for maybe a, a less word, like problem or issue. Many churches trust consumerism to grow the church. Right? The church at that point becomes a product Right, if the pastor looks right and preaches for only just the right amount of time, and, and if he's got his spiked hair and the music is right, and there's enough uh, smoke and the lights and then the dark, you know, all that stuff, it becomes a product. Even the language changes. I heard a pastor one time say, and during a, uh, announcements, you know, if you're visiting to here today, uh, the, you don't don't put anything in the offering. This is our gift to you. The service is now a gift, right? That's the language that we see in a lot of churches. So the question has changed. It's not what does the Bible say. It's does it fit what I want. But see, here's the reality, right? Jesus came. Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost, right? God is a missional God. Jesus has come with a mission. The church is to pick up that mission and go forward. But isn't it interesting that today we'll say, let's not talk about you know, the hard things or the difficult things. Do you realize that before Jesus started his earthly ministry, there was this gentleman called John the Baptist, full of the Holy Spirit. Now John preached some hard things. He preached the wrath of God. He preached and called sinners to repentance. He spoke to specific sins. This is the guy preparing the way of a, for the Savior. And Mark tells us, right, when John was in prison, the, the, the guy who set the tone, he was gone, Jesus began his earthly ministry. And there's a pattern here for us, isn't there? See, God's sufficiency comes when, when you realize that I need a Savior. If I was to tell you, hey, you're all right, we're just going to deal with your symptoms and not go after the core problem in, in your life or in my life, we're not really helping anyone. And yet the pattern of Scripture is, here is the wrath of God. It's poured out on all those right, who don't know Jesus Christ. And because God is a, a God of love, and he is one who is patient. See, right now there is time to believe. There is time to repent. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow, but once the Lord comes, that's it. And it begins, this is the pattern. There is someone who has come, who has taught the law, the, that God demands, right, perfection. Here is the law, and then we present the gospel of Jesus Christ, because people don't necessarily want Jesus. And a person one time tell me that, hey, I've explained the gospel, they just don't want it. I'm like, you explained hellfire and the wrath of God eternally. And the streets of gold, right, is a possibility to all those in Christ. Well, I didn't say all that. You see the damages of sin. People don't want a Savior if they don't think they're sinners. 
So when the church today isn't dealing with these things, we move away from the sufficiency of God, which is his son, his gospel, and we move it to self. Paul has told the Corinthians, right, this foundation. He told them in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians 11 through 15, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, hay, or wood, hay, or straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is, it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man, man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet as through fire. See, it doesn't sound like the Lord's playing games, is it? Here's, here's the direction. Here's the sufficiency. It's not us. Though God uses our uniqueness. He uses, right, how he created us. He uses our ability. He calls us to mature and to grow. And, and the more we can do in ministry, he uses spiritual gifts, right, that he placed in us. He brings them out of us that we might serve in this way. But we don't rely upon those things. We trust in the sufficiency of God and his word. See, Paul realizes his ability to preach the gospel, to provide leadership, to, to counsel the Corinthians originates with God. If I'm going to do this ministry, I mean, how is it that Paul continues to move forward? Well, he has confidence that God is sufficient. He has said in Romans 15, verse 18, For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. So we come back to this verse, and Paul is, is stressing not that we are adequate in ourselves, right, to consider anything coming from ourselves. He tells that for the benefit of the Corinthians, so they wouldn't think, oh, Paul's just boasting again. He says, no, right, but our, our adequacy is from God. So I think for us this morning, right, as we are... Uh, members of God's church, and we're part of the body, and we're called to be ministers and to minister to one another, right? I think the question for us this morning is to realize that, that God doesn't take our inadequacies and make us adequate. I don't think Paul is saying that. I think Paul is coming back and saying, I am insufficient. I'm not uh, good enough. I'm, I'm operating in weakness, and yet God is using me. Isn't that what we see of all of our heroes of the faith? Moses was this way. Gideon was this way. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Peter, John. They all went forward with insufficiency, and yet God works sufficiency. I think God is not looking for gifted people, but people who are like people who might be or think they are self-sufficient. I think he's looking for inadequate people. See, we're never to turn our minds off. We don't ever set our, our spiritual gifts aside. We're never to do those things. We're to give all of our resources towards ministry, but our confidence comes right, out of our weakness. When we are weak, he is strong. So we should no longer hide behind our weaknesses. Hide behind the, the thought of being inadequate. The Lord is 
calling us to be ministers. He's calling some of us into vocational ministries. He's maybe tugging on our hearts to be a Sunday school teachers or to start working with uh, students or children or college or young career. He's you know, calling us to reach out into our neighborhood and to do outreach and to be uh, stepping into elements of evangelism. Right to be a witness in our workplace, to start taking those moments and saying, you know what, this is the, the reason, this is the hope that's within me. I'm going to start sharing that. And too often we go, well, I'm inadequate, I can't do that. And maybe we need to come back and act like Paul and say, the sufficiency is in God and his word. I know there are moments where this may feel like we're you know, he's calling us into deeper water, and we're thinking, you know what, Lord, you call me those deeper waters, I'm going to drown. But we have to come back and think, yeah, he's also Lord over the deeper waters. And he knows what he's doing. So confidence in ministry is really trusting, right, the sufficiency of God and his word. And we can pray that way. Lord, our expectation we do ministry your way, Lord, is that you would grow us in confidence, that we would see lives changed. I love this quote from Hudson Taylor who said, God chose me because I was weak enough. He said, God does not do his work by large committees. He trains somebody to be quiet enough and little enough and then uses him. This is where Paul is resonating. His confidence, man, is not coming. He's an apostle. He has great intellect, spiritual gifts. He's planting churches. He's doing it. And never once does Paul go, man, look what I've done. His boast is in Christ, him crucified. So we learn, right, confidence in ministry comes from, right, having an authentic ministry, doing it the Lord's way. We rely on God's sufficiency. We don't look to self, even though we're involved in it. And lastly, and my third point here is confidence in ministry is submitting to the work of the Holy Spirit. I mean, I, I hope you're picking up the fact that you see all members of the Trinity right here in these verses. He's brought all of them here. Right? We see God, right? Through Christ Jesus, access to God. We see the Spirit now riding on our hearts yet again, right? Not with, not with uh, uh, the law, but the Spirit who gives life. So Paul says in verse 6, And who made us adequate as servants or ministers of the new covenant? God has done this, right? Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So Paul now is addressing that question, right? Who is adequate for such things? We all, right, in, in harmony and unison, both, we said no one, right? But here he's saying the person who is adequate for these things is God alone. God is the one who makes us sufficient. Even though he, he makes us competent, we're not our any time ever independent. So God is the one who begins to work in us, who makes us adequate. He makes us sufficient. He completes us. He empowers us to be adequate as servants. Right? So we begin to see these things in our life. We begin to see that God has called me to be a leader, to stand for what is true, to have a voice, right? to be that voice. Uh, to, to be a light in a dark world. He's calling us to be characterized by qualities of Scripture. We should be full of humility and self-sacrifice. 
The gospel should be preached to us, right, to ourselves every day, and then coming out and exuding from our lives to those we come in contact with. And Paul says, look, this is the ministry of the new covenant. Now we see the theology of Paul, right? He understands. Of course he does. I know that sounds like he didn't need my, my stamp of approval on that, but he sees all the work of God all the way back from Genesis chapter 3 to the fulfillment of these Corinthians and every church going forward. He comes and he says it is a, a new covenant. See, the former way, the former covenant was a covenant of law. The only way we could have salvation was complete and perfect obedience. So the law is good. It is God's law. It is holy. It is perfect. It is an expression of God's will, but the law cannot save us. So the new covenant, which is founded on grace and reconciliation in Christ, the condition of salvation now is faith in Jesus, repenting and believing Right, This is the signs of the new covenant. The new covenant is superior right, to all the the old. It it, it deals with how God's law is, is now written, how it's observed. It deals with God's promises, God's knowledge. It deals with the actual activity of the remission of sins. It actually gives us hope now. And it's important to understand, what is, what is Paul talking about? Is he simply saying that the new covenant and the law here, that the Spirit kills but the Spirit's at work? Is he saying that the law that God is writing upon us, is it the ceremonial law? Is it the civil law? Absolutely not. Jesus dealt with that. But the law now, the new covenant, is the Ten Commandments. On our hearts, we're full of the Spirit. He doesn't use this to save us. It now becomes evident in us. Hebrews 8, 10 through 12 says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brothers, saying, Know the Lord, for all will know me, from the least to the greatest of them, For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. See, grabbing from Ezekiel and Jeremiah, Paul is referencing the element of the new covenant, of the spirit that the letter kills, right? The law brings us to this understanding that I'm not good enough. I need something greater. And Christ has come. Paul understood what's happening here, that, that because the law, I could not keep the law. That moment of standing over Stephen when Stephen was being stoned and, and Saul before he is Paul and he's looking upon this and he's, and he's approving of this. There has to be a moment in Saul's life where he looks upon uh, Stephen and has to realize there's something this man has I do not. Yet I've kept the law. It's from that moment as he goes to Damascus that the Lord right, saves his soul. But listen to how Paul talks about the grace and the new covenant. First Timothy 1, as he tells this young pastor, 12 through 14, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant 
with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. See, Paul understands, right? Ministry, confidence is built upon God. It's, it's his way, right? It's, it's not our way. His sufficiency is here. submits right and he says not the letter but of the spirit for the letter kills but the spirit gives life See, sometimes we think well well god has dealt christ has dealt with all of the law the spirit has come this is not what scripture is teaching the two times in the bible that we see the god the father right is the ten commandments on stone and his commandments on our hearts. See, the Spirit fills us that we might follow after, that we might come and be obedient, that we might live, right? The first four, setting our focus upon God. First four commandments, our worship to him. And then we learn how to love our neighbor, just as Jesus said, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is, this is how we understand that it's the first four commandments tell us that we're going to have no other gods before him. We are to have him as a singular God. We're to realize who he is and, and worship him according to his word. And the last six tell us how to love our neighbor. I'm not going to steal from my neighbor. I'm not going to covet my neighbor's wife. I'm not going to do those things. I'm not going to lie or murder. That's a good one, right? We don't want to do that. But it's on us. Now the Spirit, right, floods our lives. The new covenant is, is salvation is in Christ and Him alone. And now we have the Spirit who is working in us. Paul says in Romans 8.2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. The law is not set aside. It's on us. Not the ceremonial law, not the civil law. No, God's commandments, his statutes. Ezekiel 36, 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. See, we understand the spirit works in us. The new covenant, right, is, is the work of Jesus Christ. And every time we take communion, we acknowledge that there is no other salvation except Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, the life. And our confidence in ministry comes, right, through, through the sufficiency of God, his word, the sealing of his spirit, his, his law written on our hearts. His commandments. And they become a delight to all those, right, who know him. See, if the Spirit has changed us, if, if you have come and you have been, uh, come to be a believer in Jesus Christ, then the Spirit dwells in you. Then there should be right, a desire to follow after him and to, to love him and to singular place my focus and worship upon him. We start treating our neighbors differently. This is the confidence, right? As we live our lives, we become that light that shines. There is something radically different about you. What is it? I want to tell you what it is. It's Jesus Christ. I'm sealed with his spirit, and I live this way. I grow in my purity, right, in my convictions. I live my life according to his standard and not my own. This is where Paul resonates. This is where his confidence comes from. Paul has to know every day of his life when he walked on this earth that God has had tremendous mercy upon him. 
called him. Every, every believer, if you are here this morning, you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. You should marvel at the fact that God has given you great grace, great mercy. That you are a part of a new covenant, not the old. We cannot keep the law, but now it's on our hearts, full of God's Spirit. We're still going to struggle against the flesh. It doesn't mean perfection, it means direction. So if we want to see, right, authentic ministry, it's coming back and doing things God's way. If we're going to be confident in the days ahead, what our culture is happening, things that are going on, and be confident in our proclamation that comes from, again, doing ministry God's way, relying on his sufficiency. It is his church. We trust the work of the Holy Spirit. This is what gives us confidence. God uses our intellect, our spiritual gifts, all that we are to do ministry. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that we have a confidence like no other. And I know at times, Lord, it may, it may seem, especially to us, that um, we don't. And using those moments, Lord, we're just going about things our own way, our own purpose maybe, trusting in, in our abilities when we should be coming back and trusting yours. So Father, we simply ask, Lord, I ask today that every soul here that knows you as Lord and Savior, that you would encourage us, strengthen us, remind us, Lord, of who you are, that we would have that confidence that as we step into, Lord, the different areas of ministry, in the context of our lives, within the context of the church and, and outreach and other things that we do, Lord, let our confidence come from doing things your way and trusting in your work, your message, your gospel, and then submitting, Lord, to the work of the Holy Spirit. Let us, Lord, grow in that confidence. Let us be a light in the things that you've called us to and lead us that way. I pray that you would make us mindful of your, of your activity and your presence with us. Just as we see in this passage, uh, all three members of the Trinity, let us realize, Lord, as we do ministry, that all three members of the Trinity are at work. Let us be encouraged with that. And Father, raise up your church. Let us have this conviction. Let us, Lord, not be uh, focused on the wrong things. But with love and grace and mercy for each other, Lord, let us, Lord, encourage, nudge, and push each other forward. We might follow after you. So, Father, we thank you, Lord. We love you. We're so grateful for our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for, for who he is, the confidence of what we have, that he has paid a price that we can never. And we are, Lord, eternally grateful. We thank you, Lord, for us, or for what you're doing in us. And we give you the praise and all the glory. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, if you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I would love and I'd like to impress upon you uh, the need for salvation. Uh, there is uh, no hope outside of Christ. And we must know him, right? No one gets into heaven uh, not having 
even if 99% uh, of your sins are, are covered and there's still one, you don't make it. it. God demands perfection. So if you don't know Christ, that would impress upon you. Uh, repent and believe. Repent and believe. Do what Jesus says. And if you're here this morning and uh, you know the Lord, then be encouraged. Uh, don't be quiet. Be a voice, right, as we, as we labor and follow after the King. Uh, but I'll be up here after the service addressing any questions you might have. I'd love to do that for you. We're going to close by singing a great